You're currently listening to Onyx and the world of oil derivatives. I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce you to Onyx Insight, a reporting and analysis service that focuses particularly on the oil swaps market. The service comes in a form of daily WhatsApp updates, trading window reviews, monthly reports, and liquidity and volatility assessments. All our information is derived directly from our trading floor of Onyx Commodities, the number one liquidity provider of oil swaps globally. There's no service like ours, providing expert analysis across the barrel and reporting in real time from those with real skin in the game. To find out more information and sign up to our free trial, visit our website at www.onyxcapitaladvisory.com or Google Onyx Advisory Insight. Also, please be sure to check out our LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Hello everyone and Happy New Year. Uh, from all of us at Onyx, we um, hope you have a great 2020 with uh, lots of fortune. So I'll get straight into it. I'm Greg Newman, Capital Onyx Capital Group CEO. Um, and what I wanted to talk about today was the six events that drove the oil price in 2019 from our perspective. You know, it's, it's the first thing I'd like to mention is, you know, whatever you read on Google or other news agencies etc about the oil price you know they are very focused on kind of headline events like like this aramco ipo things like that um you know these things are important but we've got a slightly different way of looking at things as you may know by now uh seeing some of our content we focus on the oil swaps and the kind of underlying physical movement uh more so although obviously we're aware of everything so from that perspective um i'll get right into it so we started the year in 2019 on the back of uh, renewed OPEC cuts. So it was a further attempt from OPEC to uh, to shore up um, you know, oversupply, which became very evident at the back end of 2018. We thought it was a very logical sell-off in the fact that there was considerable oversupply, particularly in the light sweet market. Uh, and the evidence from that is essentially the gasoline prices relative to crude, or the gasoline crack, uh, went negative, um, which just shows you, you know, the production of gasoline was outperforming the uh, the the demand so um, that was quite a logical sell-off from a light-end perspective so we got to around 50 dollars per barrel and that's where we began the year um, but we very quickly saw a retracement and i would say that you know the the most logical uh, conclusion is that it, it was due to the opec cuts that were that were instigated at the end of the year um, we had quite a sharp rally in the sour crudes so the crudes that the middle east in particular produce the heavier type the kind of lower grade quality that crude uh, quality really improved in price straight away it got to the point where um it was so tight that market in you know kind of january and february that you know it was very hard to find any kind of spare barrel we also had the venezuelan um production low from sanctions from the us so finding a sour, sour barrel was was very very difficult um but what was interesting about this kind of first event was that again generically you'd say well it was going to be a rally in the oil price and that is what happened but the more nuances that were interesting were from our perspective that this impetus was very short-lived because 
yes, you couldn't find sour barrels and the marginal barrel sour was just was just not there. And, and you saw differentials in like the Russian crudes at a similar grade um, be very strong. Uh, you saw the Mars in the US, uh, all these grades that are kind of similar to the Middle East, they all perform very well. But actually the light sweet market, so the, you know, the higher quality, lighter, um, less dense crude was, you know, pretty still performing not very well it was still relatively oversupplied so what you got was this really distinct light versus sour or 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 light versus heavy dislocation um and that was kind of diminished the impact of the cuts in the long term so although we did see this sharp rally um we were still of the mindset that the market imbalance is oversupplied so in q1 it was still the mantra that you know the lights we oversupply will will overwhelm the market and uh, in particular, I think the main thing here is that the reason why we've always been adamant that um, the light sweet supply will continue to be oversupplied is centered around the U.S. exports. So it's not saying that, you know, you can say what you will or, or the production values of the U.S. are what they are. But even if you take them at any kind of number, if they're increasing or decreasing, the exports are increasing. And that's undeniable. And why is that important? Well, because there are two different markets, ultimately. For the longest time, WTI crude, i.e. the benchmark that prices the US crude, has been dislocated to Brent, i.e. the more representative of the global market. So whenever there was oversupply of, of the US crude uh, in people's supplied balances, etc., it would just be factored into, into the US price, which people were effectively ignoring when looking at hedging or, or pricing their global price. They were actually looking at the Brent uh, benchmark, but the more you export, the more that excess U.S. crude and light sweet that they're producing can be filtered into the global market. So our initial view was that the WTI versus Brent differential will start to narrow, uh, and did do it at least held, and we think will continue to to increase next year or this year. But ultimately, the whole oversupply balance or or supply demand balance is not as simple as saying is there more or less oil in the world month on month. It's is the has the global market access to oil for the global market become larger? Is there a bigger pool for which is setting the global market price? And that was undoubtedly a yes. So that that was where we stood. But the next event that was unexpected, but also really kind of had a big impact on this, because this was the, what I've been saying is the kind of crux, the narrative of the market from our perspective. So light sweet oversupply and exacerbated by US exports coming online. But what happened was the market got well, respite after respite, because the one big thing that happened was Ecofix, uh, sorry, Ecofisk maintenance. So Ecofisk is a uh, really important oil field in the North Sea. The reason it's important is it's become one of the main oil fields that actually prices the Brent global benchmark. So all of a sudden we saw a, a, uh, a PR release or, or a yeah, news release that there was going to be Ecofisk maintenance for the first time in five years, that was going to take 330,000 barrels per day offline in June. I mean, this is, by perspective, okay, it's not, it's not a big deal in terms of global crude. You know, 100 million barrels a day, you take off 330,000, who cares? But because it's, it's so integral to pricing the Brent benchmark, it was a huge impact. And the fact is, is that we expect maintenance in the oil fields every year, in particularly in the 40s fields. And it's to some extent priced into the curve because we know uh, to expect it, you know, roughly around the August, September, October kind of area. But this was a whole new field that hadn't had maintenance for a long time, all of a sudden released, and it was very unexpected. So 
Why was this also such a big impact globally? Well, because this 330,000 barrels taken offline per, per day just in one month was all light sweet. Ecofis is a light sweet crude. So if you have a light sweet supply and you have US exports coming into the global market, but then you take away um, light sweet production in the form of Ecofist, then the light sweet oversupplies is going to be delayed. It's not going to be priced into the market uh, very quickly. So that was um, you know, particularly interesting and unexpected. And you know, the evidence that it had a huge impact was actually in the underlying swaps because the oil price itself didn't move too much, but there was certainly a strengthening in the underlying basis. We had um, the EFPs, which are the exchange futures for physical in the North Sea oil. So the Brent benchmark futures you see converting that into physical oil was um, that differential uh, in order to do that uh, really spiked. We saw the dated Brent market, the North Sea swaps market really like um, strengthen considerably. Uh, to the extent where we haven't seen those levels for quite some time. We're talking all the way back to 2011 at the time uh, that we hadn't seen such strong uh, prices in the North Sea. So that undoubtedly was a, was a, was a big deal. Um, quickly followed by this, because this was just a news announcement originally for June loading. So it got announced in March and we saw the impact kind of on the market and the swaps market and the forward curve in about um, April, April, May. But then what happened was the, uh, so the third uh, big event that drove the oil price in 2019 was the Russian pipeline contamination. So the Juzbar pipeline, you know, initially we got news or got wind that um, some oil had been contaminated and, and for whatever reason, the market was discounting a lot of things uh, or has been discounting a lot of bullish factors, uh, maybe because there's this general kind of oversupply sentiment in the market, but for sure it was brushed off originally. However, it soon became clear that this was actually a very big deal. The um, pipeline is around a million barrels per day, um, and it had been contaminated with organic chloride. So this really does make it almost unusable for most refiners. So it wasn't even a case of, well, we can just sell it at discounts and um, you know be done with it. It was no one would take, wanted to take the oil. Uh, the reports we kind of left with, and now it's all kind of done, was that it was around six million barrels affected. So, you know, that's four, what, about three uh, very large crew carriers, and there's a considerable amount of oil that was affected. Um, and that oil just couldn't go anywhere. The Chinese, in particular, were expected to take it, and they came out and said very publicly, we're not taking this oil, we're not taking the risk. So, for what started of discounts of five to ten dollars what they were expecting went to twenty five dollars per barrel um and it was taken on by trade houses and we're not even sure how they ended up uh running it smoothly maybe the the discount price was enough for them to to treat the oil but either way that oil was effectively taken off the market so again why is this such a big deal well it is it was a um a volume thing you know it was considerable amount of oil taken offline but if you've been looking at the oil markets since they've been traded, the actual, this kind of volume is big, but it can be, you know, there's storage, there's strategic petroleum reserves, there's um, ways for the market to be pretty elastic. Um, so the impact wasn't really from the volume from our perspective. The impact, again, was the North Sea. So you have uh, this pipeline that goes into the Mediterranean and supplies refiners in um, Northwest Europe as well. So Poland, um, 
these kind of places that were taking staple kind of supply off this pipeline suddenly had no choice but to find alternatives. And the natural alternative in the Mediterranean and Northwest Europe area is the North Sea again. So you had the Ecofis taken offline in June. Then you had this pipeline, which was, you know, really underappreciated how much uh, impact it was going to have long term. So when it got to June and you had this tightness from there, you, or you were trading June loading barrels, you know, not only had North Sea been taken offline in the form of Ecofis, you also had this pipeline taken off more barrels. So you had kind of a double effect of demand increasing for North Sea oil to replace the Russian Russian contaminated oil, plus a, a um, sorry, plus the maintenance. So the knock-on effect was, you know, again, considerable prices in the North Sea that was sustained. Uh, and that was just crude. So we saw that happen. But the combination of the two, two and three, actually resulted in gasoline strength, uh, you know, kind of the next knock-on effect after that. And we saw very unexpectedly the gasoline prices, having been negative relative to crude at the end of 2018, suddenly be almost all-time highs on the time spreads and the prompt um, gasoline cracks uh, performed as well. So we had this ex- extraordinary tight um, gasoline market as a knock-on effect. So in balance, we had the refinery margins very strong, crude market very strong and overall the market was strong and you couldn't deny that we're in bullish territory in the underlying oil market and that for sure sustained for uh, quite some time um we so from the beginning of the year we saw 50 dollars per barrel and by this point you know we're roughly in the the 60s 65 kind of area um seeing volatility along the way but net on net you can't deny it'd been a bullish run um that was the first half of the year i think the second half was particularly interesting because there were again more events and this this year i mean it was just really quite looking at the underlying physical market impact definitely the most um varied and plentiful numbers of like events happening in 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 one year i mean it it, is quite unprecedented so the first half was real underlying physical um impact but then the second half we got more into geopolitical but actually the market behaved uh, quite unusually. So the first thing was Iran. So Iran, you know, if I made that all one event, you know, that the sanctions, obviously, that the, the, the um, kind of tension from that relating from the renewed sanctions was one thing, but it was really as the US started to uh, relocate or reposition some of its military and its navy into areas surrounding Iran in the Straits of Hormuz, you know, effectively showing a pretty clear sign of war uh, or at least impending war and especially threat and we started to see um, that it's not just the Iran situation and the US it was very much a function of the Saudi uh, and Iran proxy war that's been going on for quite some time and we wrote an article on this uh, an independent piece of which if you just contact us we we can um, deliver to you as part of the insight service Um, but either way uh, we saw uh, attacks coming from Iraq that were alleged to have been from militias that were playing either side of um, the Saudi-Iran proxy war. We saw attacks from Yemen, and in general, the region was under a considerable amount of tension. So with all this being the case, and you know, the next step being actually the uh, Iranians allegedly you know, uh, impacting physical tankers that are in the Straits of Muz as an attempt to to uh, respond 
without all these things considered, we didn't see a dramatic increase in the price of oil. In fact, we after we surpassed the $70 per barrel uh, number first half of the year, we never actually got back there sustainably, despite, you know, what was one of the biggest geopolitical events um, in the in the last few years. It really did look like we were on the cusp of war. And all the optionality was suggest that, you know, buying $100 calls or buying or, or predicting um, in a risk reward way that oil could really blow out seemed about like the sensitive thing, sensible thing to do because we did have an underlying strong market from all the events that I talked about previously, and we also had a considerable amount of geopolitical tension going on. So, a lot of people started to say, "Where where is the geopolitical um, premium?" And that started to be the case for the whole balance of the year. Uh, but as I say, nothing really happened to the outright price of oil, but the underlying market there was impacts. Uh, in particular, I think the main thing was just the Fajira kind of port um, situation. So it started to be that you can get bunker fuel from Fajira, you can get it from Singapore to like main hubs um, in the east. And there was a lot of deferring to Singapore because, you know, you just couldn't trust um, ships uh, would be would be safe uh, in the Straits of Hamas. And so insurance um, was particularly strong price for insurance and in general it seemed like the smart thing to do was to stop buying from Fajira and buy Singapore so that was the kind of underlying niche impact but ultimately we expected the east versus the west prices to be very very strong um, and we did see we did see a increase but uh, I guess there wasn't enough sustained um, tension and real physical impact lasting enough to 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 see that those kind of differentials really blow out so that kind of died down unexpectedly and 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 net on net we didn't really see much from that event but for sure we saw a lot of open interest spikes in long term kind of upside calls we saw um covering on the east west as i say uh and there was certainly impact in the underlying despite um not too much on the overall price so from there, well, we had the Saudi attacks, of course, um, again, following on from the um, kind of the proxy war. As an independent event, we had the, the uh, missiles um, on uh, attacking the uh, Saudi facilities that really did take genuine production offline. A lot of the times it's the threat of war or the threat of production being offline. But this was a direct hit on uh, oil facilities, which is really quite incredible if you think about it, um, particularly if you look at all the oil events in the past uh, few years. This was a direct impact that took off oil supply, and you've got to say the Saudis did a very good job uh, at getting oil back online, and you know within a month it seemed sorted from a physical perspective. However, what an interesting time it was when it happened, because we had this attack on the weekend, uh, you know, earlier hours of the Sunday morning, we suddenly um, were all trying to make sense of what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, and that gave enough time for, you know, all traders to kind of prepare themselves because over the weekend, the, the exchanges are closed. So they open again at uh, Sunday night at 11 p.m. In, in UK time. And it was very interesting because, of course, you'd expect it to increase in price. You know, we've got, we've got a particularly... Uh, huge volume taken offline instantaneously i mean it only means one thing it's bullish um the interesting thing here was yes the market was limit up so 
what that means is you know before the market even opened there were so many buy orders that couldn't satisfy the sell orders available that you have a temporary you know liquidity shock whereby the exchange had to essentially um stop trading for a time until the market could reconsolidate and then you get enough sell orders in uh, to match the buyers. Uh, and that happened three or four times as soon as the market opened, which will limit up. You got the, the kind of uh, warning on your uh, screen when you're trading, the market has gone limit up, lasts about 10, 15 seconds, restarts again, and then it goes limit up again. And, we, and we've got a bit of that. So we went from around 60-ish to, you know, we were in a falling market but previously to this. Uh, it was starting to look weaker in the North Sea. All the effects from before were starting to kind of diminish but we saw a spike up to 72 and this was just like absolutely instantaneous uh as soon as the market opened and um you know it's very unfortunate for anyone holding kind of residual shorts or just short positions in general because my god the market did jump you know hugely in fact the most in recent times in in one go um that was that was obviously uh, quite significant but actually from that moment on, the market retraced and actually overall in the next week ended up lower overall, um, which is, again, quite, quite fascinating to, if you think about it. And, and it just really did prove the elasticity of the underlying physical market. So the geopolitical premium just absolutely gone and um, no, no real net impact or lasting impact. But one thing that wasn't really talked was the fact that even though this is surprising and does show you that the underlying health of the market or elasticity of the market is strong, is that the market was long. And when I say the market, I'm talking about the uh, oil traders specifically, the guys trading the underlying swaps and futures based on their kind of physical information, less so the uh, hedge funds, etc. Although, you know, hedge funds, I'm sure a lot of them were long too. But there was a general length in the market that it was getting unsustainable. And, you know, when we were seeing this kind of sell-off before the Saudi attacks, it was quite logical and it did seem like we were heading back down to where we thought the levels should be relative to, to price in this relative oversupply. But with this Saudi attack, you've got these old traders and some of them huge with huge kind of volumes, um, positioned with huge, huge volumes. They got very lucky ultimately and they were able to cash out immediately on this huge spike. You know, great, happy days. Market opens hugely higher, cash out and what we saw in the North Sea market in particular was a considerable amount of selling. It was all basically offloading their length. And by the time it was over, you know, everyone was cashed out. And to the point where no one was really bothered about the price because it had done what they wanted to do. And that was just crude. We also had a very interesting um, kind of impact in the fuel oil market because the fuel oil market uh, is, you know, the residual fuel, the, the shipping fuel for the time, um, had been performing quite strong on the back of, you know, sour strength from OPEC cuts, etc., all this kind of thing. And although we did get a rally, um, we actually saw um, participants who you wouldn't expect selling, selling. Uh, they obviously were attracted by the, the price increase. And despite the production of sour crude being offline, it didn't seem to have a material physical impact and so there was a rush of sell hedging to lock in those levels and despite this initial rally in the fuel oil prices it also came all the way back down so in general another event bullish event i mean all four of these sorry all five of these events have discussed are all bullish crude and they ultimately not having a considerable bullish impact which is kind of the theme of the year in general 
Uh, so very interesting there. So the final key event uh, has to be IMO. So IMO has been a lot of talk about what the net impact will be and has been, etc. But now I think we have a lot more information and it's uh, for sure not what people expected. So in a nutshell, I'm aware I've been speaking for a while, so I just want to keep this relatively brief. In a nutshell, the impact of IMO has been the following. The residual fuel oil market um, has weakened considerably. We've got uh, the fuel oil cracks that were pricing around, you know, minus 15, minus 20 in the early parts of the year, um, steadily going lower all the way down to 30, 32, minus 32, um, which is, you know, a monumental sell-off. We're talking about half the price of crude oil. And, um, you know, a lot of traders have reported it's done very well from there. Uh, Shell actually publicly came out and said, we made a billion dollars trading uh, fuel this year. And, you know, good for them. That's um, obviously well well predicted. Ultimately, the, the, the main justification being this residual fuel that we've got is more residual than it was before because the sh- it is used for shipping fuel. But with IMO coming up, no one's going to want it. So no one's going to, everyone's going to shun it. And, yep, that, that is ultimately what it ended up pricing out. We also saw the gasoline versus fuel oil prices be very, very, very strong as well. The general consensus being with the current contracts available to me that are liquid, the gas oil prices should be a lot stronger than residual fuel. Now, although this did hold, what was unexpected, and it's still very, un, very hard to kind of reconcile, is that if I say the price of gas oil, uh, sorry, gasoline is, let's say, $15 per barrel to Brent, and the residual fuel oil was minus $30 per Brent, it can make sense of that. Um, but the new very low sulfur fuel oil, which is used for ships, i.e. the only difference between residual fuel oil and the fuel they're using in ships now is the sulfur. And I'm saying that is the only difference because, you know, volati- uh, sorry, um, the components and the uh, viscosity, there is no accommodation for that in the in the new fuel oil. They've, they've not added any funky components or done anything pretty magical to to justify this you know amazing finished product. They've just removed the sulfur, and the price of that oil at the moment is twenty dollars per barrel to Brent. So, gas oil fifteen dollars, and that's diesel. That's all the you know road. This is the previously the king of the barrel. This is what the the majority of the economic um, kind of health of the market was priced by it's 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 what we use for ships for freight for um general reflective of so not for ships for uh, airlines etc re- generally reflective of of the economy so you can see why uh the gasol price would be strong and you can see why the residual price would be low but all of a sudden you've got five dollars above uh gasol and diesel is the shipping fuel uh very hard to make sense of because ultimately the shipping fuel uh, is ran in a residual fuel engine. They actually design their ships such that around 80% of the engine is has the capacity to run residual fuel, i.e. You know, the worst, dirtiest, sludgiest crude, um, oil, and then 20% of it is you know, for a gas oil engine to run when they're in ports, etc. So they can't run gas oil because it's a residual engine and it would be dangerous and it doesn't make sense. Um, and But all of a sudden they are paying above gasoline for more residual fuel just because it doesn't have the sulfur. That's where we are right now. So what does the market do? Well, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's not, it wasn't clear to everyone. I mean, people were trying to predict this impact and reflect it in what was available to them in the oil swaps and futures. And that primarily was via the gasol, uh, 
cracks versus the fuel oil cracks. And it's understandable because that's what's available to them. But actually, this independent, very low sulfur fuel oil market is what has spiked. So if you look at refinery margins, and this is where it's interesting, refinery margins before the IMO impact, before the very low sulfur fuel oil, they were, at the end of the year, uh, negative. So we've got a situation where CDUs in Rotterdam were being closed down because there's, a, well, there's no point because if we run this, it's just not going to make any money. And you're looking at it and you're saying, if you have negative refinery margins, that is in effect pricing in oversupply, which is in line with what we believe and, um, in the long run and, and therefore you know, high, about time that the, the market started to price in the general oversupply that is in the market. However, that is not the true reflection of margins, i.e., the value of the end user product versus the value of the input because of the very low sulfur fuel oil price. So what do the oil traders do? What are the refiners doing? Well, they're buying crude and they're not even bothering refining it. They're flashing it, which is a very like, simple process just to siphon off the uh, lighter ends uh, and they're putting that straight into the blending pool. So if, to make this clear, if you're buying very low sulfur fuel oil, which is the new shipping fuel packaged product at $20 per barrel to Brent, you can buy it at flat to Brent, i.e. you can just buy crude, put it in the blending pool with low sulfur fuel oil or something cheap, which is either minus one to crude or, or kind of flattish, and sell it for $20 higher. So, of course, what ended up happening was, or is, is still going on now, is just all the crude, especially the light sweet crude, because obviously it's the low sulfur, started to be lapped up and put into the blending pool, and these guys are making an absolute killing. And to the extent where... It has completely rehashed how we look at refinery economics and it needs to it needs to be sorted out in 2020 and that's where we're going to go now but just just to consolidate that point we've had now differentials in the north sea which have just reached all-time highs um quite ridiculous one dollar 85 was a trade this is 40s crude historically roughly in the region even in a well supply sorry even in, in a relatively good demand market it's priced around minus 40 to dated Brent or minus 20 to dated Brent. It's pricing at $1.85. That just gives you the context that the, the guys, the oil traders are buying all light sweet crude available to them and putting it into the blending pool. Now, why is that so significant? Well, because going back to the original point, if we believe the oversupply is in light sweet. Well, you've just got another reason why you can use light sweet oil uh, and offset this this uh this kind of uh light versus sour dislocation so what's now happened is the light sweet is well in demand and actually the sour market is also it's all of a sudden the light versus sour has flipped so we are now in a situation where um we have a very strong crude market we have negative refinery margins if you look at the old spec but of course the new kind of refinery margin essentially factoring in the very low sulfur fuel oil is still strong so where we go from here it's a bit technical, of course, of what I'm saying, but ultimately the message is the market has to realign somehow to factor in either undersupply or oversupply. So the, the overall oil price, we've had this rally. With the, with the crude strengthening to astronomical levels on the underlying physical, we have seen an increase in the outright price of oil to the extent where we're getting close to the year highs, uh, and, and, that, and that is what it is. But the question still remains for 2020, are we oversupplied or are we not? Uh, on balance, if you look at what the IEA are saying, if you look at even what Russia is saying, 
the general consensus seems to be that we haven't got rid of the oversupply problem. But of course, that's just words. That's just supply and demand models, which generally speaking are never accurate. Our belief, our own interpretation is yes, the market is still oversupplied. And with the increasing US exports, we should still see this impact of the supply and demand balance for global crude continue to shift towards oversupply. So that joy lining under that, how is that going to be reflected in the market? Because right now you can buy crude not even run it in a refiner and make $20 per barrel. So crude is therefore expensive. So that's going to continue. And so therefore, why would the crude price not go up? Well, what we're going to need to see is a rebalancing of the refinery margin on the product side. We're going to need to see one of the differentials between the end user product and crude weaken, essentially. Because if it doesn't, then ultimately you can just keep buying crude, keep making money, and therefore it should we should be... Uh, we should we should in theory be undersupplied, but if we know we're oversupplied, you can't just keep doing that. Some in some way, the market is going to have to price in the oversupply. So, so let's just say the very low sulfur fuel oil market that's twenty dollars per barrel to Brent doesn't move, and there's a chance it's going to happen because what's happened is the end users, the ship, uh, the bunkerers have committed to this price now. They've seen the price, they've accepted it, they've budgeted for it, they put it in their financial statement, and there's a sixty billion dollar transfer essentially of of uh, uh, wealth going from the ship owners and the end users being passed to the oil traders. Um, so you have the situation where if they've committed to that price and they're hedging at that price, then the price can stay there. It's a kind of self-fulfilling thing. But ultimately, you buy this, um, uh, you buy this crude, you, you, you deliver it as, um, as very low sulfur fuel oil, then you're going to need to run something in your refinery because there's still going to be demand for your products elsewhere. One of the cracks has to weaken such that the overall refinery margin in the new spec becomes negative if we're oversupplied. So the, which one could it be? Well, we're looking at the light end cracks and saying, well, gasoline and NAPFA and LFG, well, they should probably stay where they are at least, and they are performing quite well because every crude that's been ran to be blended into this um, uh, shipping fuel is light sweet. So if there's less light sweet available because it's going into the blending pool, then of course you expect the prices for uh, light ends to stay strong. So it's unlikely that they're going to move. So then you have to look at the residual fuel oil that no one wants. It's already weakened to $30 a barrel. Yes, that is a possible contender to keep continue weakening. However, it's gotten to the point where it's so cheap that, and it's not being produced because it's so cheap, that actually there's enough demand there to warrant that at least a floor in prices, which we're starting to see now. You have the Saudis and others in the Middle East who are saying, well, I used to burn direct for power generation. I used to burn crude directly for power generation. But now that this price is so much cheaper than crude, why don't I just use fuel oil directly to generate power and I'll sell my crude in the open market? And that's, of course, happening and supporting the underlying prices. Of course, there is there are a lot of um, ships that can use um, uh, scrubbers and they will continue to do so. So that's that's demand for the residual fuel market. And then there is just, uh, sorry, un non-compliance i.e people just not adhering to the imo rules so there just does seem like at this price there is enough reasons or enough justifications for there to be a flaw in that crack that differential so if it's not going to be the residual it's not going to be light ends the only real area it can be is the gas oil market the diesel market so if you look at this market these cracks are very strong 15 or so dollars per barrel to brent all this uh refining margin is relying on on this crack holding and it 
just seems unlikely because all the crude that is going to be ran now in into the CDUs and into the refiners are going to be sour crudes of which they produce residual fuel oil and gasol as a higher weighting than the light ends. So you expect more supply of gasol than anything else and that incrementally more supply than before will mean that it's going to be under a considerable amount of production pressure, supply pressure and can the economy hold it up can it can it justify it can we see population growth and the demand increases in china and in india to justify the crack differentials well if so then we have very strong refinery margins we should have all these 100 million barrels per day or a bit more of crude produced in the world should be lapped up and we should see an increase in prices our general belief is that's not the case we are oversupplied so we need to see the cracks realigned to price in this oversupply i know that was a bit of a mouthful and it's a bit technical but that is generally how we see things regardless 2020 is going to be a very very interesting year we've got a completely restructured oil market uh, and i can't wait to see what happens as always need any advice need any conversation you want to see our more of our reports insight just go onto our website www.onitscapitaladvisory.com and we're here to help any problem you have we're here to help you solve thanks very much for listening guys